morning. <clears throat> well, it is a pleasure to be here. It is great to see the sunshine this morning. A reminder that there's sun on the other side of the storm, which is kind of what we've been talking about in the book of Ruth. If you would turn there, that's where we will be this morning. I was very thankful to have been here um, for equipping hour. If you were here, or if you weren't here, Randy, Pastor Randy was talking about, um, he's kind of an introduction to hermeneutics, which is the art and science of biblical interpretation. And um, as as he taught, I was thinking about the lesson this morning um, that I that I have prepared and and how important it is that we answer those questions he was talking about particularly this morning as we look at these passages as we look at the book of Ruth and what is the character of God that we see through this and as we we're kind of coming to the Climax. We're in, in chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse 14. We're kind of coming to the, the pinnacle of the story. And so it, it gets really interesting and really exciting. So if you would, pray with me, and we will, we will look at it. Father, I thank you. I do thank you for a beautiful day. I thank you for those who have gathered here in your name. And I pray, God, that, uh, that the words of your scriptures would penetrate hearts this morning, penetrate our hearts. God, and I realize that you have already prepared the hearts who would hear this, that you have already decreed the reaction to this message. I pray, God, that my heart would remain humble, but that, but that it would remain bold as well as, we, as it preaches As I preach, God, I pray that it would be truth, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, that it would be delivered, and that the hearts of the people would be prepared to receive it. God, I pray if there's any here who have a hard heart, that you would grant them repentance this morning. And God, those that belong to you, that it would be a great encouragement and a reminder of your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 2, verse 14, I'll just give a quick overview of what's going on here. Ruth and Naomi have returned to Bethlehem, and they were extremely um, hungry. And I don't mean hungry like we experience hunger, most of us like hungry to the point of starvation. And so when they get back, Ruth goes immediately to the fields to start gleaning. And you remember the process of gleaning. It was a provision that God had made for the poor. The the field owners, the farmers were commanded to leave the edges of the field, to leave the corners so that people could go in and glean, pick up what they didn't get of the harvest of, and in this particular case, it was barley. And so that's what Ruth did. Even though there was no doubt she was tired from the journey, there was no doubt she was very weak from the hunger, this was life or death, basically. So she goes immediately to the field and starts to glean. And in that, um, she meets Boaz, And Boaz comes and he takes notice of her. He had heard of her already. Evidently, when they came back, they were the talk of the town. She had, remember, Ruth had left. She was a Moabite. She had left her people, left her country, and she had chosen to go with Naomi and cling to her and said, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. So she came in. Boaz took note of that and respected her for it. And gave her protection to glean in his field. And so that's kind of where we are. This is all still the first day out in the field. And so when we get to verse 14, we come to mealtime. It's mealtime in the field. And so take a look at verse 14 with me. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So not even a day has passed since their meeting. We don't know exactly what time they actually met, but we do know that it was sometime probably before lunch from the looks of this. And so she had been out then gleaning among the, um, among the reapers. And then Boaz invites her in um, and he, wherever it is that they're eating, not inside, but into the fold in a way. The gleaners weren't really, they didn't go eat with the master. Their provision was to glean, right? That's how God provided for them. So they didn't get, it wasn't um, like, oh yeah, you're part of us. You're allowed to come in behind us and glean from the field. But he invites uh, Ruth in at this point and he says, sit, sit here with the reapers, sit with me. And this is a big deal for a couple of reasons. Um, one, Boaz staying around may not be completely normal. He's a, he's a very wealthy man, remember? He owns land. He has servants. The landowners weren't always there. Now, that doesn't mean that some of them weren't there at times, but it was an oversight sort of thing. He probably has more than one field. And so him staying around wasn't completely normal. The second thing is inviting Ruth to sit with them elevates her status even more. He had told her, yes, you can glean in this field, which was big because she was a Moabitess. She was worried about her stature in Israel. He says, yes, you can glean in my field. And he told people not to hurt her. Well, now he says, come sit with us. So now her status is going from the poor gleaner to, yes, sit with us. And I like to imagine what the look on the other people's face would have been at that point, right? This is a mo- we don't. I don't know that we can understand the difference in that time period between an Israelite and a Moabite and the disdain that would have been between the two peoples, Right? And so when he says, yes, come sit with us, everybody there knows who she is. Everybody there knows where she's from. And he says, come sit with us. What, what do you think? I, I would have loved to have seen the look on everybody's face. Shock? Envy? Anger? I've been working for you for five years, Boaz, and this lady comes walking up and she gets to sit right here. Do you think that would have happened? I think it's very likely to see those things. We don't know for sure. Um, now, we also see here that to sit beside the reapers is also to sit beside Boaz. Because it says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine. And he passed to her roasted grain. So it looks to me like she's sitting in immediate vicinity of Boaz, right? So not only is she allowed to come in and eat with the reapers, she's sitting with the owner, the big man, the boss, right? And that's a big deal. And then the last part of that verse says she ate until she was satisfied. I wonder how long it had been until she had eaten until she was satisfied. When you're starving and the food is really scarce, you have to ration it, right? When you get, if you get enough food to eat until you're satisfied, there's no way you're eating it all right then because you don't know if you got anything tomorrow. And that's the status that Ruth and Naomi had been in for quite some time. Remember, that's the reason they had to move back to Bethlehem was because they were starving back in Moab. And so she, now all of a sudden, the tables are turning. The tide is turning. Everything is looking different now because he's given her all of this food and she eats until she is satisfied. And it even says this, 
And she had some left over. That's the reason she ate until she's, she was satisfied. If she would have ate at all, she wouldn't have done that. If, she wouldn't, if, if there wouldn't have been enough left over, she wouldn't have kept eating. But she had some left over. This is a big deal. We've got to understand how serious this situation was. She had some left over. Look at verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. So we really start to see uh, an affection. We start to see a, a major... Um, kindness of Boaz here. This is going way beyond what the law requires. This is going way beyond what is normal for this time period. What this is saying is what the sheaves were, that's that's like the stacks of wheat or barley as they harvest it. So they would go through the field, the, the reapers would, and they would cut the barley, and they would stack it up, kind of what I would call it shocks, where they would stand it up. And there would be so many, and they would go on. And, and what he's given instructions here is, let her glean between the sheaves. This was not normal. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, the owner of the field's, would leave too much for the gleaners, there wouldn't be enough for them. They have to harvest the field, right? And when you're talking about the sheaves, in between the sheaves, there's a lot more dropped. And so when they would go gather up the sheaves to take it in for the rest of the harvest, to haul it in, they would gather up anything that was dropped in between. And that would belong to the field owner. The second thing is it would have been very tempting if you let the gleaners come in behind you and the sheaves are stacked up does anybody know anybody that might grab a couple handfuls out of the sheaves that had already been harvested that were stacked up it would have left a major temptation for the people who were gleaning but the owners have to take care of themselves as well right and i think this this is kind of a side note this is one of those facets, Randy was talking about the different facets of the diamonds and the different applications that we can get from the scripture. This is an application that is not a direct application of what the story is intending, but it is an important application that I think we look at, especially in today's time. Because some would say those field owners, Boaz is extremely wealthy, right? He has plenty. It won't hurt to let the gleaners come in among the sheaves right shouldn't they be able to grab a few handfuls out of the sheaves you have so much and they have so little it's always easy for somebody that's not in boaz's position to say that it's always easy for somebody who is not the owner of a business to say well they have plenty they should give more or not the wealthy to say, well, I don't understand. They should. Here's the reality. Unless you know the full business of what's going on, you don't have any right to say anything like that. God, and look at this situation right here. God has decided how to provide for the poor. In his law, so anything to demand more than that probably not a good idea now here's the thing that doesn't mean god is not pleased when people choose like boaz has done here to give more than he is required but that's a choice that's made by the person who has it not by the person who is trying to receive it or not by somebody on the outside looking in right so that's important that we understand that it's important that we understand that the people god has given given wealth to some people and how they handle it is between them and God outside of the law, anything above the law. It's not for us to dictate that. And so often the people who are complaining that the wealthy should give more 
leave more, pay more, have a lot of ignorance as to why they can't. We have this debate going on right now in our country with minimum wage. And the reality is that people don't understand, unless you own a business, they don't understand the inner workings of that business. Think about this particular case. A portion of what is collected in this harvest isn't going to be eaten or sold. It's not going to be eaten by Boaz. It's not going to be eaten by his people. It's not going to be sold for profit. It's going to be kept for seed. That's important. If you don't save back seed, you don't have a crop next year and everybody starves. Right? But people are demanding, well, they have so much. Well, some of that's for seed. Some of that's so you can have some next year. Right? It's important to know these things. They may need to purchase more land in order to have enough provisions during a year of famine. The landowner may not have enough. He may not have enough to supply what all of his people need, all of his workers, all of his family, and even all the people who are gleaning afterwards. He may need to purchase more land in order to make it work. And he has to pay workers. And not just the ones in the field. He may ha- There's other workers that people don't see. Ruth is out there in the field. She's gleaning. She sees the ones in the field. She doesn't see the ones working back at the home, working on equipment. Um, the ones that are winnowing the wheat and the barley. right? So it's important that there's all of these things. And then they have to buy um, and feed animals. You know, the, the, the crop did not plant itself. The ground has to be plowed. In order to plow the ground, you have to have an animal of some sort, a donkey or oxen, right? You have to feed those. You have to replace those when they get too old. You have to, there's a, the point of all of this, they have to maintain. They have to buy plows. They have to fix plows. They have to pay a blacksmith to come in. The, the point of all of this is, unless you know the inner workings of a business, you don't have any business telling the people how they should do their business. Does that make sense? And I think that that's an important concept that we need to understand in this culture because we have a whole lot of people wanting to dictate how somebody does their business and they don't know what they're, what they're talking about. But that's a side note. It's not, that's not the purpose of the message today, but it is important that we understand this. And it's important that we understand how that what Boaz is doing here, allowing her to go in and glean in between the stacks of wheat, is a sacrifice to him. Okay? He's, it is not um, without sacrifice. And so we see now these very special provisions for Ruth. And it shows a little more um, than just the, the notice that he took at first. So he is starting to really pay attention to her. Now look at verse 16. He even says this, And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So I'm starting to think Boaz may fancy Ruth a little bit. I don't know if you guys are catching on to this. Okay, so not only has he allowed her to glean and given her protection, more than what he would normal gleaners, now he's allowed her to go in between the stacks of barley and pick up what's... And no other gleaner is allowed in there. She is. She's by herself. No competition here. And then he says, you know what? That's not good enough. You guys, you workers... Grab, grab a few extra handfuls every time you go and just drop it on the ground. How would you like the looks on their faces now? <laughs> what? What? She's going to get more than we get paid. Right? It doesn't matter. He's the owner. He can do this if he wants to, and he has a reason for doing so. <clears throat> he says, do not rebuke her. Basically, he says, let her have whatever she wants. In verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. 
we, we don't know. <laughs> I, I would be interested to see Ruth's face as well as she starts gleaning in between the stacks, right? And all of a sudden she's seeing these large handfuls and she's picking it up. She's obviously going to know what's going on. She's, she's not dumb. She, she realizes and she sees these guys dropping it. Um, so we, but we don't know exactly what she thinks, but she obviously knows this is Boaz being extremely generous and extremely kind. And she worked all day until evening, and she beat out the barley. And at this point, I think probably the reapers had left. The other people that were working there had left because they don't beat out the barley. They have different jobs that each person would do. And so it was probably would be taken back to a place and it would be done either by them in a different place or by other people. So there's a very good chance she was by herself at this point. And what they would do when it says it beat out the barley, they would take it with a stick and they would basically thrash it or hit it until the seeds fell out of the husks. And so she doesn't have the whole stem, leaves and everything. Now all she has is the seeds, which is the part that you make into bread or, or whatever. That's the part you eat. And so she's there doing that, and the amount that she takes home is really quite amazing. If we take a look at this, um, an ephah, the word ephah was actually taken from an Egyptian trade, and it meant a basketful. So when she takes home an ephah of, of uh, barley, when you read in Exodus 16, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And so um, an omer is basically what one person could eat in a day. So she's taken home ten times a daily ration from gleaning. It, it was really about, so what it basically amounted to was almost two weeks wages in one day. That's about what was paid to the reapers. They would get paid about an omer a day, about maybe a little more. Um, but they would get paid, basically that was their wage. She's taken home almost two weeks' wages in one day after gleaning. We don't understand how big a deal two weeks' worth of food is in advance in this time period. But when you've been spent however many months under starvation, and now all of a sudden you have two weeks' worth of food, you all of a sudden... The Lord providing has just become very real. It just become extremely real to Ruth. Verse 18, and she took it and went up into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So you remember she had ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over, and she put it somewhere. She tucked it away, so she's, which is another amazing thing to think about. She's in the middle of this amazing interaction between her and this wealthy man who is providing all, all of these things, and she's, able, she's working hard. It's probably hot, and she thinks of her mother-in-law still yet with the excess. She brings it home and gives it to her. How would you like Naomi's face at this point? Do you think Naomi may have been a little worried at any point in time? She sends Ruth out by herself in a strange land, a Moabite, going out into Israel to try to glean amongst the people. I think she was probably watching the door pretty close to see when she comes back up. And then she sees her coming with a basket full, with two weeks worth of grain. You remember how distraught Naomi was when, when Ruth was trying to stay with her? And she gave a, she gave a sob story. You think she's starting to see the other side. She's walking up carrying more food than they're used to seeing in a month. And not only that, now Naomi's hungry. Remember, Naomi has not eaten yet. 
Naomi's still starving. So she's thinking, wow, we can start making, we can start grinding this barley down. We can parch it and we can eat it. But she doesn't even have to wait on that. Ruth pulls out some, some bread and hands it to her. In verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. It is abundantly obvious to Naomi that she has found favor with somebody. Who? Where? Where did you get this? Who did? Who has provided this for you? There's no way you could have gleaned this on the corners. I know you're a hard worker, but let's get real. It's impossible. And she says, the man's name is Boaz. Have you ever prayed for God to help you? For God to either provide for you physically or spiritually and limit the outcome in your mind while you were praying or right after you prayed? You start thinking of all the obstacles or you expect the bare minimum. I mean, I think we've probably all done that. We're probably all guilty of limiting God in some way, almost every time we pray. And then God comes through with abundance. It doesn't always happen this way. He doesn't always come through with abundance. Sometimes He does come through with the bare minimum because He wants to teach us a lesson through that. But we should never doubt the fact that God can deliver with abundance. And I think that's what he was revealing to Naomi at this time. Naomi had doubts. We know she had doubts. We saw the doubts before they ever came back to Bethlehem. She didn't expect any kind of provisions. She didn't expect any kind of heir. She saw no reason for Ruth to follow her. And now, all of a sudden, they get back and God is providing in an abundance, in a major way. And he has a purpose for that, but this purpose, this physical provisions that he's giving here is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and then when Ruth reveals the name, Ruth probably still doesn't know who he is. She probably doesn't understand that he's the kinsman. She probably doesn't understand that he's kin to them, but Naomi knows exactly who he is. And that's where we hit Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. May he be blessed. Naomi's attitude is now coming around. She's changed. Her attitude is, is um, looking up. She's found new life. She's excited. She's energized, which is an amazing thing because food will do that to you. I mean, really, we can get down on Naomi. We can be hard on her, but she was starving. I miss a meal and I get pretty grumpy, right? She's starving to death. It's pretty hard to be positive, have a positive thinking, right? But now she's seeing this and she has a new attitude and she says, He is a relative of ours. He is a close relative of ours. And she goes even into more specifics he is one of our redeemers. The word is goel, Hebrew, and it means the kinsman redeemer. And I think there's Naomi starting to see now that there's more help, there's more provision in this than Ruth ever imagined, than Naomi ever imagined. The abundance of grain was one thing, but now she sees past that. Now she sees to a whole nother level of life that can be provided here. The ancient audience at this point 
I don't think would have known exactly what Naomi had in mind. It's hard to tell. Um, the word, the kinsman redeemer has um, several different applications here. The, as far as what a kinsman redeemer was, what they were, what the purpose of them were. It could have been the purchase of land once owned by someone in the clan and sold out of economic necessity, which we see as the case here. Turn to Leviticus 25. We'll look at it in the law. Leviticus 25:25 says If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem it what his brother has sold And that's exactly what has happened Abimelech had sold the land because they were evidently in famine and moved to Moab And now Abimelech has died so Naomi is his widow and so, by law, the nearest redeemer should buy that land to redeem it back to him. In Levit- on into Leviticus, we won't read it, but the near kinsman was also responsible for buying relatives who poverty had forced into slavery. See, under the law, if you got, to, you got into poverty, you got into too much debt, you could sell yourself or basically become a slave to the person you were indebted to so that you could pay off your debt. It was a, debt was kind of a bad thing um, then. Still not good, just so you know. Um, so, so that was something else that could happen. If you, had, if you had gotten into that situation, and there were all kinds of reasons that people would get into those situations, just like today. Nobody plans to fail financially. But it happens. Things happen. Things go south. And if your brother or your kin got into that position, as the near kinsman redeemer, your responsibility was to go get them out of that, to purchase them back, to get them back out of the debt. There was another reason. If someone was murdered, the near kinsman redeemer became the Goel Hadam which means kinsman of blood. He was to track down the killer and put him to death. He was the avenger of blood. When you read that, it's not the avenger of blood. He is the blood kin avenger. It was his duty to find that. He was also to assist in a lawsuit if necessary. If, the kin, if your kin found themselves in some sort of a lawsuit, under the law, then it was your duty as the near kinsman to come and assist your kin in that situation. And I say all of that to show the overarching purpose of the Goel. The overarching purpose of the near kinsman redeemer was to maintain tribal solidarity. The clan was to stay intact. It was extremely important in this time, in this culture, in this law, that the clan would stay intact. Any disruption of tribal unity must be repaired by the kinsman redeemer. It was more important than himself. It was more important than his own wealth. It was more important than his own well-being, the well-being of the clan, the family, the extended family. And as we look at this, we don't know how much of this Ruth understands. Maybe some, maybe she's been taught by Naomi, maybe she's been taught by her husband some. We don't know how much she understands. Did she realize when she clung to Naomi and when she declared, your God will be my God and your people will be my people, that she was actually clinging to the one who would be able to provide a redeemer? I don't know. Do you remember when we talked about when Naomi was in the foreign land and she lost her husband, how she had stepped out from under the covering of laws and customs that God had provided for her situation? God has made provisions for her, but she had stepped out of it. 
I think Naomi now is realizing. Naomi sees it. He's our near kinsman. She's realizing we're back under God. We're back under his provision. It's a blessing. It is a blessing to be under God's provision. That, that's the overarching purpose. But there's an overarching, overarching purpose here that we have to look at. Over all of that, the real purpose of the Goel, the real purpose of Boaz and Ruth is to point to the true Redeemer. Our Boaz is greater than this. Like Ruth, we were helpless. Like Ruth, we were strangers in a foreign land. We were pagans to the true God. We were Moabites. We were at enemy. We were the enemy of God, enmity with Him. The, the reality of this whole situation, when you look at this, and in, in just getting down to the, to the technical side of it, Ruth was a Moabite. Boaz was not bound to her. He wasn't. He was not bound to Ruth. She found favor in his sight. And so it is with us, our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ, did so. Not out of obligation, but out of love. And as you look at the, the purposes I said of the kinsman redeemer, look at this. Jesus will redeem our possessions. Roman 8, Romans 8.17 says we are joint heirs with Christ. What he owns, we own. If you are in Christ, what he is, what he has, we have. We are joint heirs with him. He has bought us out of slavery. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you are bought with a price. You are no longer the bondservant to sin. You are no longer enslaved to this world. He has bought you with a price. He has redeemed you from slavery. He will be the redeemer of blood. The avenger of blood. Romans 12.19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember the kinsman redeemer was supposed to help his kin if they were in a lawsuit? How about our kinsman redeemer who stood guilty in our place. And now he is still there making intercession for us. That's our Boaz. That's our Redeemer. That's our Christ. And yet there's some of you sitting here who may refuse to bow to this Jesus. Can you imagine, Ruth? Starving to death, go out to glean, and Boaz says, here, take this extra. Take this extra in between the sheaves. I think I'm doing okay. I like being hungry. No, that's absurd. Here, Ruth, let me, let me come sit with us and eat. Come and dine. No, no, I'm good over here in the heat with nothing. Let my servants draw you water. Why would I do that? I'm doing fine. How much more absurd are you sitting in your sins, refusing to come to Christ? He has commanded men everywhere to repent. He has the right to do so. He stood guilty in our place. That is the overarching principle that we see here. We see a really real event that God orchestrated providentially for several reasons, and we're going to see another reason later, but we get to see Christ here. And so if you are one, 
If you are a Ruth and you're a Moabite sitting there and you know this is hurting your heart, you know that God is speaking to you and you're being convicted of your sin, repent. Trust in Him. Put your faith in Christ. He will not let you down. When you do that, there will be times when you will walk astray. And there will be times when you let him down. And there will be many. And there will be times when you drag his name through the mud. And there will be many failures and shortcomings. But he will never abandon you. Come to Christ. And to finish the chapter, we see it kind of wrap up. And it kind of sets the stage for the next part. Verse 21, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides me, besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And here in the middle of the blessing of the Redeemer, we're reminded that Ruth is a Moabite. It's mentioned several times. Why? I think it's to remind us how incredible this is so that we don't forget just how amazing it is, how gracious Boaz is to show this kindness to a foreigner. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. See, Boaz said, Go with my young men. Naomi says, go out with his young women, lest in another field you'll be assaulted. So she's saying, yes, stay there, stay in that field. And it it, it also tells us again, it shows us, it reemphasizes how rough of life this can be. You'll get assaulted. Why? People fighting over food. You're a woman. You don't have a husband to protect you. These men are going to push you around. They're going to be rough to make sure they get more than you. But I think she also liked the idea of Ruth staying away from the young men because she had another idea in her head. She had another suitor in mind for Ruth. One who has obviously taken notice of her. And I think that at this point... Naomi was starting to see a farther step, another step, um, and that would be to secure her an heir. Um, for Abimelech. In verse 23, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth, Ruth did exactly what she was told. Um, and it's easy to read through Ruth and not catch the fact right here. This, and this helps understand the next section. The next section, the next chapter, there's some peculiar, th- peculiar things that are going on. So pray for me. As I study those, I want to I bring those out correctly. But part of understanding that is catching something right here. The, it says that, she 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 was gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So we have about a seven-week period here that this goes on without any real detail of what's happening. So we just know that she's out there gleaning for seven weeks. So no doubt during that time, Ruth would have seen and talked to Boaz more, right? Especially if he's thinking kind of how I'm thinking. He's probably going around that field a little more often than the others, right? That's how guys kind of do things. All of a sudden, you know, this girl that works at the store, he's buying a whole bunch of bath and body works or whatever it is and just throwing it in the trash, right? He's finding an excuse to get over there. Well, I think Boaz was probably that way. And so he's seeing, they're seeing a lot of each other. Um, it also shows us, because Boaz's instructions didn't change. He said, let her glean among the sheaves. Put out handfuls for her. She's taking an ephah a day, and she does that for seven weeks. She was well provided for. 
and Naomi was well provided for. The danger of starvation was gone. She didn't have to worry about that anymore. And I'll tell you something, just in general, this is something I understand well as an educator in school. And this is something that's important, I think, in, in a lot of the things that we do. Taking away that immediate need or filling that immediate need is a helpful situation to go further. If somebody is starving to death, it's, it's kind of like the, well, be warm and filled, right? How about we warm them and fill them? And that way they are more receptive. They can concentrate. You can't, it's just extremely difficult to concentrate and think straight when you're hungry or when you're thirsty or when you're in need of something immediate and an immediate need. So she was, that was taken away for her. And then this interesting sentence at the end, she lived with her mother-in-law. And this helps shape the story of what is to come. Because we don't know all the details, that are, um, but we can put together a few things. Listen to a few things that we do know and we can kind of arrive at a conclusion. We do know this. Boaz has shown extreme grace and favor towards Ruth in a dangerous situation in a foreign land. Ruth has obviously caught his attention. We know that Boaz and Ruth are seeing each other on a regular basis for seven weeks, maybe daily, apart from the Sabbath. We know that Ruth and Naomi talk daily. And so as we see the harvest come to a close, as we see the wheat harvest, barley's first, then wheat, as we see that come to a close, it sets the scene for the next chapter. I suspect there's that little feeling of, what am I going to do when harvest is over? I'm not going to be in the fields of Boaz anymore. Am I going to see Boaz? Right? And so there's these thoughts, and that's going to lead into what happens next in the next chapter, which is um, I'm looking forward to, and and um, it is is obviously a, a very well-known, neat story between Ruth and Boaz. But as I said... We don't want to overlook the overarch, which is Christ. And so as you meditate on this, as you meditate on this passage, I encourage you to think of this situation with Boaz and Ruth and how it applies to us with Christ, our Savior, who has loved us with a love that we cannot even fathom. And abandoned or, or rescued us when everybody else would have abandoned us. The same as Ruth. And how he will provide for us from now on. In, in whatever our spiritual and physical needs are, he will provide for, for us in a perfect and majestic way. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I do thank you. God, I just thank you for your blessings and your provisions and your ability to love the unlovable. As I know I am, what an amazing thing, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would um, that you would take this passage of Scripture, this message, and that you would use it for your glory you would reveal yourself to anyone who's here who has not seen you as their redeemer god that you would reveal yourself that you would reach down to them and rescue them from their despair as you have me god and i pray that those who are in your fold those who are under your covering that we would just be refreshed and ignited by this that we could go and serve you and proclaim you to others. In Jesus' name, amen. How great is our God.
great is our God. Sing with me. 